Hey, 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 Closet Busters, come on and gather around. It's time once again to kick down those closet doors of life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, Bold Move Expert and Coming Out Coach, and I'm going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on, grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step in to living your truth as we explore more stories, tips, and tricks for living your life uncloseted. Now let's get to the show. Hello, Closet Busters and Bold Move Makers and my lovely Life Uncloseted family. It is time once again for Life Uncloseted, and I have to be really honest. I am so excited to be speaking with this friend of mine today. We have been friends for probably six, seven years at least, and um, we've done a lot of work together, everything from masterminding together, being on stages and being in groups together, all this good stuff. And the reason I wanted to bring Sharon onto the podcast, because she's got just a beautiful essence to her, as well as a beautiful story of what it means to really step out of the closet and admit you've got an addiction and you're willing to work on it and you're willing to do the recovery and to step out of other things that brought you to this space where not only abusing yourself, you found yourself being abused as well. And I don't want to go too deep into it at this stage because I want to bring Sharon on here in just a second, but I want each of you to hopefully just dial into this space as we talk today, because one of the things I learned as a gay man and coming out of so many different things is sometimes the recovery requires that you really love yourself. And I know that Sharon's going to deliver that message really clearly um, as she starts to share. So welcome to my podcast. Finally, right? Finally. Hi, Rick. <laughs> Gosh, you know, yeah. I am so excited to be here. Um, I know. Yeah, we do have a history. We do. You know, as I was walking downstairs to come into the lovely wine cellar recording <laughs> studio, I was like, wow, I remember when I used to drive into LA and mastermind with you and a few other of my gals. And it's like, that seems like ages ago. I know, I know, we just loved always having you there. You were, you were really a, a key component to mm -hmm. our group um, as always. And I have just been loving watching what you've created here about, mm -hmm. about life uncloseted, you know, just, yeah, just yeah. really stepping out because we all, we all put ourselves behind those doors, don't we? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then the next thing we know, we find ourselves white knuckling through life and <laughs> we go through the ups and downs and we don't let go. And sometimes it's just about, you got to let go and you got to come, well, you got to come clean with yourself so that you, whether it's recovery from addiction or recovery from hiding about your sexuality or being miserable in your work, it's like letting the white knuckling go and just say, okay, this is my truth. And this is where I'm at. And I love your story because I've watched you thrive. And um, when we first met, you were in the design industry and you were starting to do some of your own coaching and recovery work with women and, and helping people be true to themselves. And you just continue to do that. And so let's kind of step back. There was this space and time when you, ironically, Loved wine as much as I do. <laughs> yes. in the wine closet, and, um, and suddenly you found yourself going, "Wait, this isn't really the best thing for me." 
Yes. I mean, goodness, I, I lived the life. I mean, I lived in Northern California. We, um, you know, we were up in the wine country all the time and rented limos and, you know, we did all of that, you know, wine, winery hopping and, yeah. you know, just enjoying, enjoying the good life. So mm-hmm. we thought, right. right, um, right. Until suddenly you got to look at yourself and go, Hmm, what's mm-hmm. happening here? What's yeah. happening here? You know, when the social aspect disappears and you find yourself alone and you find yourself at, you know, three in the morning uh, popping open that bottle of wine just so you can maybe get back to sleep because your lifestyle has made it so you can't even sleep well, Mm. right? And so that alcohol becomes everything. It becomes, it becomes you know, what you do to make yourself feel more comfortable in any situation. Mm-hmm. It's how you just, you know, get through any kind of stress, anxiety, yep. what have you. It's, it's so easy. It's so mm-hmm. easy. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, you know, pretty soon it, it just became apparent that there, there was a problem, right? And, um, and it wasn't just me. It was like I looked around and it's like, you know, not to point fingers, but wow, who you circle your life with, yep. right? Yep. And I've seen that over and over and over again. I have, you know, friends, even since we, you know, have been here in the Central Coast where it's like, oh, yeah, we had a good time. But then I'm like, wait, I'm not used to this. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't how I do it, you know? And nothing against the friends. I mean, they're great. But I know for me, even though we have this beautiful wine collection, um, I have found over the last few years, I'm like, yeah, I enjoy wine, but I'm a kind of a one glass at a time, maybe two at the most guy these days. And not because I feel like I have a right. It's just, I enjoy it, but I'm not going to sit and like, oh yeah, you know, now if we have a dinner party or something, sure, we'll go through two or three bottles of wine between six or eight of us. But I also know that it's about taking stock of your life and going, wait, What's working here? What's not working here? Same thing with food. And you and I, you've worked with me around food stuff and my health in that area. Uh And I find it so interesting that each of us in our own way can be an addict to many things. I think in this day and age, there's so many people who are addicts to social media. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a, a theory that pretty much all of us are addicted to something. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and when you, you know, define addiction of when it starts taking either over your life or it's controlling your life in a, in a derogatory way, mm-hmm. that's when you have to look at it, right? Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable. You don't want it to. It is. Oh, it is very uncomfortable. Yeah. So as you got uncomfortable and you started realizing this, you know, besides the 3 a.m. wake up calls and opening the bottle of wine, what was the biggest driver for you to realize, okay, I got to step out of this addiction closet. I got to do something. You know, really, um, at, at a certain point, it was my daughter. And I mean, I would, love to, I would love to say that at that moment in time, I said, oh, my goodness, I don't love myself enough, and I better stop, and, you know, that will help me love myself better. Right. That, you know, I was so far out of that realm, um, feeling so much shame and guilt and, you know, just hating myself, really, mm-hmm. of what I was doing, even if I didn't put it necessarily in those terms, you know, because there's so much shame around alcohol addiction, um, especially being a woman and being a mom and, you know, being an alcoholic, man, I must be a bad mother, a bad woman, a bad wife, you know, it had all those negative connotations. So, you know, just so much shame and negative feelings for myself. So 
I remember distinctly, I had, I had quit drinking for a while and um, then it kind of just, you know, started sneaking in a little here, a little there. Right. And all of a sudden, um, there was, a, I think, an art and wine event in town. Mm-hmm. Well, bingo. That's mm-hmm. all it took, you know. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I remember waking up and looking over, and there was my daughter mm-hmm. peering in the bedroom at me mm-hmm. with such confusion, mm-hmm. disappointment, um, such, you know, wonder of what happened, where's mom, you know, and it broke my heart, it broke my heart, and, you know, I had a bottle of wine in the in the closet, yeah. let's talk about being in the closet, yeah. I had a glass sitting next to me on the bed, and I just, and then she closed the door, mm. and she was going somewhere, and I just, I, that was the moment. You know, I just had to stop and go, what am I doing? I am taking the most precious thing in my life and I'm ruining it. I'm ruining it. And so I really, I really suggest when people, you know, are are going to go through um, recovery of some sort, if you can hang on to some little moment like that, um, I always say that will help get you through a lot of rough times you know, whatever that is for you. So that was mine, right? Just yeah. seeing that little face and just, I've always hung on to it. And anytime I ever feel or have felt, you know, like the urge to go back, it's like, oh no. Mm-hmm. You know, I can recall that in a heartbeat. Yeah. It is very interesting because there are moments in my life that I, definitely hold on to when I think about I could have like gone back in the closet. I could have, you know, had that moment of, okay, I'll, and I did from 19 to 36. Mm -hmm. Um, Those moments were there. And the only thing that gave me hope was okay, but I'm still a good guy. Even, even when I wasn't being faithful and even when I question, well, is this just going to be my life? And I'd get in those very fragile moments. And, and I was about as close to probably being a sex addict as anybody could be. Okay. And I would look at it and go, but I don't feel good about this. But I still did it because it was feeding a need that I felt couldn't be controlled. And when I realized, okay, this need could be controlled and then I also started to step into that space of, wait, I believe I'm actually a very sexual being and I'm okay now with this, but what I'm doing is hurting somebody else, mm-hmm. my wife and, you know, potentially my children. Yeah. I had to come to that space. And as my children came into the picture, and I honestly believe that my youngest one, um, Riley, when she was born, coupled with the fact that then just like not even, not even nine months later is when everything unraveled that I looked at her and I thought, this is the reason, this is the reason something's got to change. Yes. Yes. And it's similar to yours, but slightly different, but I know, and you know, I've talked about this fairly openly on the podcast before, but I, as I said, that being so close to being a sex addict scared the crap out of me 
because I thought, what kind of a father will I be? Will I lose this child? Will I lose my girls? Let alone the respect of, you know, their mother and then everybody else around me. And when you reach those, what I, you know, everybody kind of calls the rock bottom moments, you do need that driver. You need that little thing to hang on to. I think so. It helps. It sure helps. But you also said something, and it's interesting, and maybe it's because I've been recording podcasts <laughs> all day today, and they've all been with women, but you said something about the shame of, you know, being a bad woman, a bad wife, a bad mother. And I find that such ridiculous masculine bullshit that women do get that bad rap. I mean, I remember when somebody very close to me, a woman, went through this same stuff. And watching people like lob the, well, what kind of a mother would do this? What kind of, da, 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 da. and I thought, wait, it's, it, first of all, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's just because she's a female and anybody who says, well, what kind of person? I'm like, stop it. You're not that person. Right. And, right. and you know, and it was so interesting, Rick, because, um, you know, obviously my ex-husband, I mean, mm-hmm. right there with me, right? Right, right, right. But of course, you know, it was always the pointing fingers. It's my, you know, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. But also, he got to be the life of the party. He was, you know, the fun guy. He was boisterous. You know, it's like all these positive connotations. Mm -hmm. And he would get, you know, rambunctious and out there and crazy. And yet that wasn't what a a woman gets, right? No. No, because women aren't supposed to do that. They can can have their little quote cocktail and, you know, sip their glass of wine through the evening and and that's appropriate, but go beyond that. And it's just, it's not surprising to me at all where we are as a society because of so many things like that. Well, and and that's why women become so good at hiding it Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we have to, or we feel we have to, right? I mean, you know, that's why I, I even remember my little Norwegian grandmother, she'd hide a little bottle under the sink. Mm. Because, you know, a nice woman wouldn't drink, right? right. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so we've, I think we've done it for a long time. You of know, course Socially, oh. it's not acceptable. So women end up hiding it. So as you came into this reality and you're like, okay, this has got to stop. I can't do this. I'm, I'm holding on, doing this for my daughter. What was the real pivot that finally said, okay, I can't just have those thoughts. I got to go do something. What what really took you into the next space? Well, I mean that that really was it for me. Okay. That that really was that moment of mm-hmm. oh my god, this is this you know because I, I mean I had I had gone into and I had to talk about this in the the book that I wrote, but or part of the book I wrote, yep. but you know I had gone into um, recovery system one more t- once before. You know mm-hmm. I did the outpatient thing. It was sort of mandated right. for me, um, so you know it's not like it was totally hidden. Right. Um, and at that point, I just was not ready. I, I didn't really want to look at it. It couldn't yeah. possibly be me that had a problem. Um, so then this time, it was me. I really mm-hmm. just went, okay, yeah, you do. Got, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and when they talk about, you know, in AA and all different modalities of recovery, there's that moment of surrender. Oh. And that is exactly what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I, I literally remember lying there and just saying, I surrender. I give up. Help, help me, help me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I need help. Gotcha. Okay. So it was just truly that moment of, yeah, I, I, I can't really do this by myself. I need help. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so when you really realize that, um, 
I actually, I mean, I, 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 and I wasn't feeling well. I, you know, I had, I'd really gone over the deep end of that mm. weekend. Just, I don't even know. I don't even know what all I drank. Mm. I mean, I just, I don't know. I just, it just hit me badly. And um, I actually went to the hospital. Wow. And, help put an IV in me to get, you know, get me back on track. And then I went into a detox for a few days and then to an outpatient patient treatment. But, um, so I really, I, you know, I had to start doing the work then. And as you started doing the work, mm-hmm. was there a moment or several moments where you began to say, it's not just for your daughter, it's for yourself. You know, it took a little longer than, I mean, it's not like, it, you know, it's not like a linear thing right, necessarily, right, right. but um, you know, I think it was just a, 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 a matter of giving it some time, certainly mm-hmm. um, of, of being sober and just getting, I, I, I remember suddenly a little creative, creativity, that can I say it? Creativity came back. Mm. Um, I, I realized I was getting a little more zest for some things that I'd been letting slide. Mm. Um, I just started obviously feeling better. And so I think that's where just, just nicking away at those little things. Yeah. Um, then finally, yeah. Um, and, and in the midst of all of this, um, after a year of being sober, I did leave my ex-husband in a rather tumultuous way, unfortunately. And um, I just remember my daughter and I, when we were driving to our new home, and she even said it, and um, I bring this up to her once in a while when she's struggling with something. She said, Mom, you and I are not meant for a regular life. We're meant for something so much better. Hmm. You know, out of the mouths of babe, right? right. And so, and I, it's, and I was like, you're right. We are, we, yeah. you know, we are. We are destined for something so much better. Yeah. And I think that's when it really started kicking in. It's like, yeah. We, we, we deserve so much better, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we all should have something better. And I, and I remember kind of just putting a line in the sand and saying, I am not ever going to do things I don't like anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes like, so much sense. Like I'm, I'm over that. I'm over doing things because somebody else says it, or even for myself. It was myself saying I need to do it this way because um, that's the way it's done. Right? It's like I don't, I'm, I'm just not going to play that game anymore. I don't want to. I think I can live a life. And I didn't even know how I was going to do this. Just right, right. be clear, right? Right, right. No, <laughs> exactly. Finally, like saying, I deserve better. I, I, mm-hmm. I want to do things that I enjoy in life from here on out. Mm-hmm. You know, I think because I'd been repressed a lot yeah. um, through uh, very much um, verbal abuse. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't going to live that way anymore. Mm-hmm. This thing that you just brought up about not going to do the things I don't like anymore and then the repression. Mm-hmm. I, I really want to talk about this repression stuff because I think so many of these addictions that people get into and these secrets and everything is because we've been told you have to repress you have to repress that secret or you have to, you know, don't talk about these things. And I wish as a society, we could learn the value, truly learn. I think, I think most people intellectually, they kind of get it, but we still repress so many things. And then because we get repressed, then we go look for something to bring us peace 
yeah. and take away the pain and to numb us from this stuff we're repressing. I agree. I, I, I just, I feel like, I don't know. I don't want to even say a percentage because I have no idea, but I right. feel like there are so many people in this world that are so unhappy because they're not doing things that they love doing. Mm -hmm. And whether that's career wise or just an extra special activity that you bring into your life, life is short. You got to do some things that bring you joy and, and, and bring you that peace. Like you say, bring you that, that serenity of just enjoying life mm -hmm. um, so that you are not going to negative things to fill those voids or to, to make mm -hmm. it feel better. You know, and I'm curious, I don't know why this just popped in my head. And I know it's, it's, it's a hypothetical question, but I know for me, once I quit repressing who I was, my truest self, my happiness quotient went way up. Oh, I've had to have. And I'm just curious if you can actually even imagine what it would have been like to be happy enough in yourself that the enjoyment of wine wasn't necessary for happiness. It was just part of it. Have you ever thought through that piece? You mean as, a, as in, could I still go out and drink? Well, no, no. I just want to like almost roll back to if you had been able to just be happy in your life in those, at that time, there's, there's some piece of you that was, the wine was helping you repress some truths. Yes. Yes. That, it's one of those moments when you finally get it. It's like, oh, wow, I'm doing this to repress this. What if I didn't have to repress that? Could I have a glass of wine and go, that was enjoyable, but I don't, I don't need it for anything other. You know, I've, I, and I've asked other friends of mine who are recovering addicts mm -hmm. as well. And I get a, like a mixed bag of, you know, responses to that. So I don't know. Yeah. It's such a, it is an interesting question. I wish I had a more clear or concise answer. Um, unfortunately for me, social anxiety was so tied into why I drank mm. at a very young age, even like I, you know, started, you know, having a couple glasses of glug, I call it, because I just, mm -hmm. you know, stole stashes from my parents to go to a dance wow. because it, I, I, I was shy. I mean, like, and now I guess you call him introvert, but we called him, mm -hmm. you know, she was the little shy girl. But see, and here's so, the interesting piece here in what you just brought up, though, is even being an introvert was so, even today it is. It's like, oh, if you're an introvert, there's something wrong with you. Yes. Except there's much more of a push these days. You know, I have friends, Jonathan Fields, Good Life Project. Um, actually, most any speaker I know of, they're like the biggest introverts in the world. Mm-hmm. But they get out there and they do this thing, yet again, society said, oh, you know, to be an introvert, you, you know, you're weird, you're a nerd, you're da-da-da-da-da. It's like, no, this is just somebody being who they are. And no wonder we have opioid addiction, alcohol addiction, and sex addictions, because these things that people try to tell us are things you need to repress or are bad, then we have no self-esteem left. Yes, and I think that's very true. You know, like if if it was just um, a matter of you know accepting everyone the way they are from a very young age, um, I think you're right. It's so much of that would just disappear because it's like we're all good, right? Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. Whether we're a little more quiet or a little more this, I was a total little bookworm, right? You know, but it doesn't mean you don't have something to say when the time is right. 
Um, I just wasn't good at cocktail party chatter, right? Mm -hmm. Just the little chattery stuff. So, mm -hmm. and, and so many people have these characteristics that other people criticize them about, and then it causes you to either retreat and or retreat and repress. And then you go into whatever cave it is. It can be complete depression. It can be anything. It can be the sex. It can be the drugs. It can be the alcohol. It could be the eating. It could be the unhealthy. I mean, I have a friend that I, we talk about this quite a bit. He is such an exercise addict mm. that all he does is exercise. There's yeah. no room in life for anything else. And he's still very socially awkward. And that's why he exercised. He thought being fit and everything would make him better socially. But now he's used that as a, a guard around him because now there's no time for anything other than that. Right. And, and, and you can do it all by yourself. <laughs> you can do it all by yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. everything, you know, weightlifting, running, cycling. Yeah. He's very much a solo, you know, activity sort of guy. But then the thing that comes out of his mouth is, I'm so lonely. And, mm. you know, I've talked through this several times. I said, well, you know what? What if you made some room for some people to be in your life? Right. Instead of you putting this fence up around you. Right. The difference. But it's interesting, too. And this happened a few weeks ago, probably more than a few weeks ago. Um, we run a meetup group here for basically gay men. It's open to, you know, gays and lesbians, but we tend to get mostly gay men showing up. And a young guy showed up first time. Um, we were at a, a bar, but we try to pick places that have food and stuff. So it's not just about drinking because there isn't like, not a disco type bar. It's like, hey, let's just go have a drink, right? Yeah. And he said, oh, I don't drink. And I'm like, cool. And then we started talking and I said, what brought you here? And he goes, well, I just, you know, I need to get out because I'm, I'm kind of socially awkward. And, you know, I thought I'm going to start challenging myself to come to these things. And he has, he's come a couple of times. So then the next time he came, um, somebody was like, let me get you a drink. He's like, no, no, I don't need a drink. And they're like, well, why? You don't drink? And he goes, no, I don't. And of course, then the person had to take it to that next level. Well, why don't you drink? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, A, that's none of your damn business. B, you could just let this go. And what is in this for you by if you don't, can't handle somebody who doesn't drink. I didn't. And I felt really bad. So I pulled the young guy aside and I said, you know what? Just, you know, I kind of took over and was Papa Bear and said, just ignore him. This is just one, one of those people who just doesn't get that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's, but it's so interesting with alcohol because obviously it's, it's, you know, it's out there everywhere. Um, it's almost impossible to find any mm -hmm. kind of function without mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And so um, it, it is interesting how uncomfortable people are that are drinking with somebody that is not. Mm -hmm. And and I always, you know, just want to say, before you open your mouth and, and, and try to bring it any further, mm -hmm. is ask yourself, why does that make you uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Why does that well, make why you does it uncomfortable? Make, I love that question because it's not just alcohol. <laughs> why does it make you uncomfortable that I'm gay? Why does yeah. it make yes, you uncomfortable yes. that I'm heavy? Exactly. Why does it make you uncomfortable that I don't want to go travel the world and you do? It's these things that we as human think we have to put this on to somebody else when it really has nothing to do with the other person. It's everything that's your own shit. Nobody yeah, else. isn't that interesting? That's a bigger conversation, isn't it? Like some, what somebody else is doing makes us feel uncomfortable. Why? Right. right. Well, because none of us want to feel uncomfortable. That's right. the thing. Yeah. You know? And I know through my own journey of like, you know, 
barely, <laughs> barely escaping the addiction piece, I got pretty judgmental. There was a time that I was really judgmental about people who were, you know, out there having lots of sex, which I had lots of sex too. And then I thought, this is ridiculous. You can't, you can't do this and heal yourself. You right. can't throw the judgment down unless you want to try to heal yourself in some other way. And you're not going to heal yourself, throw the judgment down at somebody else. That's it. Yeah. You look at yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as you've worked through everything, I know you've got a beautiful chapter coming out in a book. Let's talk about that book a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it already has come out. It's very exciting. It's cool. um, a book. The, the overall title of the book is Re love revolution. So mm -hmm. there's like 25 different stories of yep. love and in, in many different varieties. So it's a, it's a nice read. Um, and mine is to recovery with love because I wanted just to, to throw out another concept of looking at recovery, not as this oh, horrible sluggish thing I've got to go through. Yep. I wish that I had had somebody that said, what if you don't love? What if you just start loving yourself? What if, what if, what if you just do it a little bit different way and, um, you know, give yourself a break. And if you don't give yourself love, I believe it's harder to recover. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, because to me, that's one of the key pinnacles. And I, I've been through this um, very, very close to this with a family member. And even to this day, I don't think that person loves themselves enough. They're, they're recovered, but, and everybody does it different, you know, yes. I throw out the judgment there, but there's still some very deep aspects. I'm like, mm -mm, you haven't gotten there yet. Right. You're still probably angry. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and why, you know, why do I have to go through this and somebody else is not and da, 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 you know, that's a, yeah, you're really, you're, you're still, you're still the addict, right? It's still the addict head. So I love that this chapter got put in that book because it's not the typical title that you would expect something like that to possibly show up in. And mm -hmm. so I think it's very poignant that for you to bring that from the recovery space, it gives one more facet of what love really looks like. I think That's so. And, I, you know, it's really, I think it's going to become more of a mission of mine mm. is, is just to, to bring that into the space for whatever it's worth. I mean, for whoever wants to listen to it, um, for whoever it, it speaks to, mm -hmm. um, I hope that it'll make a difference because I know it would have for me. I, I, I just feel like there's, thank God, so many more people talking about addiction and mm -hmm. Um, a lot more women coming forward. Mm -hmm. So I'm thrilled because that would have made, it, it would have helped me, I know. So now I want to, you know, help somebody else make it a little bit easier. Why not? Right. And, you know, one of my friends, his name is Chris Brogan. He's very well-known um, social media expert, marketing guy, been around for years. I, I, I was first introduced to him sometime in the, you know, like 2005, 2006, somewhere around there. and he suffers from depression and he's mm -hmm. not afraid to talk about it. And this is a guy who travels the world. He does huge keynotes, all this sort of stuff. And it's been interesting to watch because I chime right in there because yeah. everybody, everybody knows who listens to this podcast. You know this about me. I suffer from depression too. I'm not ashamed to say I take the pills that I need to, to keep things balanced and I don't have to take a lot. Thank God. Yep. I also know that life changes and you know, I've been like, okay, I think maybe life here on the central coast is really cool and maybe I don't need this anymore. I don't know. But what I love about when somebody comes forward, it makes it normal. 
It does, doesn't it? It really helps. And I know, you know, the whole mental health, you know, um, arena is, is, oh my God, it's getting so much stronger. The voices are coming out more and more and more. You're right. It, it helps to normalize it. I, I realize now that I suffer from some stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. never thought of that with myself because again, I'm not quiet. I didn't realize that, that it's a lot of anxious feelings that really, you know, stemmed part of my, my problem. So um, it's just nice to, to, to get some other kinds of help for it. Um, so that's, I, I work a lot with, you know, the different tools that I suggest, of course, for those kinds of things that are healthier than going to, mm-hmm. you know, alcohol, yeah, drugs. Exactly. exactly. Right. Exactly. And I also find it fascinating in this point in time that some of the most obvious ways to fix things are still being repressed. Mm. Acceptance being one of them. Accepting that there are people who suffer from depression, accepting that there are people who are going to go through recovery and there's no shame in it. Accepting that there are people who are gay and lesbian, except that there are people who find value. One of the other things that Sharon is very um, active in is in the essential oils world. And there are people, I will hear people talk about, like, ah, oh, it's the biggest world. You know what? <laughs> it may seem like the biggest load of crap to you, but for others, it's actually exactly what they need. Exactly. If it works, it works. It does, yeah. You know, why, why, why judge what right. works for one person or another? And that's um, the biggest thing is I don't, I don't know why we, and I, I know I'm, I'm guilty of it as well, but sometimes I don't know why we as humans just can't accept, hey, that works for them, isn't going to work for me. Right. And it's that simple. Just that simple. Exactly. I love that. It's so simple. Like, and it made me wonder, try this, uh, try that. You know, if it works, it doesn't work, you know, just try it. And, you know, I wanted to mention one thing, Rick, when you were talking about, you know, coming out as, uh, as being a gay man, um, you know, my coming out as being an alcoholic addict, um, you know, look at people that, that, that come out like that and, and like, give them a little, like, you're brave. Mm -hmm. It's brave. You know, it it's very brave. brave to do that because it's, it's brave to really honor who you are, yeah. who your essence is in this world that is so judgmental. Yeah. I love that. That's a beautiful place to kind of bring this full circle is to honor who you are in the essence of who you are. It doesn't matter, gay, straight, <laughs> addict, non-addict, you know, right wing, Christian, Christian, whatever. It's honor who you are, but also continue to honor that as long as you don't do something that's hurting someone else, you pretty much got the right to be who you want to be. Yeah. And, and then be kind, be kind to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, it's so good to reconnect with you and to finally do this. I mean, I, I mean, I knew when I was doing the coming out lounge, it was like, oh, I, I kept trying to find a way that it would connect to have you on. Yeah. And you know, now here we are. It's just here a we are. extension of it. Yeah. yeah. What you're yeah. doing. We'll have a link to the book that Sharon has written a chapter for on the website, as well as links to her work. And, you know, connect with her. She's got some beautiful stuff going on. She loves helping people in different ways, whether it be with essential oils, the things she writes, the things she does. She's a yoga instructor in the Seattle area. So um, we'll have links to everything so you can connect with Sharon. And I just want to say, I'm so glad we got to spend this time together. Thank you, Rick. I'm so glad too. And keep doing the work you're doing. I love it. Oh, right back at you. So thanks for being here and have a good rest of your day. You're welcome. Thank you. 
All right, there you have it. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, but that's okay. We're going to be back in just a couple of days sharing more stories, tips, tricks, and wisdom for helping you live your life uncloseted. And you know what? You can share it too. Just take a few moments if you like and if you believe in this podcast and share it with someone you know today. Share it from your phone, go share it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you are. Maybe even give us a rating review because you know what? It's all about the planet living their life uncloseted. I'm Rick Clemens, host of the show and the guy who helps you make those big, bold moves. And I hope you never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted. Catch you real soon. Take care, everyone.